While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Gospel of the Lord. So if you worship here on Wednesday nights, um, you know that the fifth through ninth graders of this congregation take leadership roles um, in worship. They read scripture, they usher people into their seats, collect an offering, and they serve communion too. Last year, I was the ninth grade teacher, and it was the ninth grader's turn to serve as leaders in worship, and afterwards, I debriefed with them. And there was one boy, and I said, well, what did you notice? And he said, I had no idea that communion is so much work. <laughs> and it's true. We do this every week, and there is a lot of time and coordination that goes in to make it get off without a hitch. And there's also a lot going on spiritually in this meal. And um, normally Pastor Beth and I preach on a, a story from the Bible, but today we're going to do something a little bit different, which is um, the sermon today is literally you asking questions you have about communion and me answering them to the best of my ability, okay? We tried this at 9 a.m. Turns out... Y'all are sitting on a lot of questions, and I've got to—I got to say, 9 a.m. was super brave in in what they asked about and um, in what they shared. And so uh, the same goes for you too. The braver you are, the more honest you are in your questions, the richer a sermon we're going to get. Couple ca caveats here: one, you should always ask Pastor Beth about this too. Um, and the second one is, um, I guess there isn't a second one. We're good. Oh, yeah, no, oh, I'm getting to that. Um, I love communion, and, uh, I think about it a lot, and I'm also a very verbal person, so I am setting a timer <laughs> so that we can get on with our day, all right? <laughs> um, but let's just start easy here. What are, uh, do you wonder anything about, like, the preparation, the logistics, the week-to-week, -week, what goes on. All right, Taryn, go for it. Do you really just take one cup and pour all those little... Uh, yeah, pieces? so there's actually a special tool. It looks like a cylinder with a small little droplet at the bottom, and you squeeze a button at the top, and it will drain out the wine and grape juice into the little cups. So if you are wanting to know more, talk to Angela about joining Altar Guild. We always need the help. It's no, Pastor Beth and I don't do this. Um, members of the congregation do. Okay, Deb and I were in Israel and we did mass every day with a bunch of Catholics on our pilgrimage. And we didn't partake of the mass. Um, but 
the priest said that we could if we truly believed that the wine was the blood of Christ and the water or the bread was his body. And I always believed that it was a symbol, not the actual blood and body. What do Lutherans believe? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, so, <laughs> so like so much for, you know, um, questions in the shallow end, right? Let, let's, let's just plunge right in. Um, I actually believe Lutherans get this very right. I think this is like one of the strongest things that we, that we do. Um, we do believe it is Jesus, truly Jesus' body and blood um, here. This is Christ showing up in our midst. Um, what we don't do is spell out how it happens, and we don't believe that um, it becomes like a human body. Like if you were to hold the bread up under a microscope, you would see bread molecules, not human cells, right? So, um, but we believe that Jesus has made a promise. He has said, um, this is my body, I will be here. And it's the, this marvelous word of God that's bigger than our understanding. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're welcome to believe many things about this meal, but the teaching of the Lutheran church is that this is, this is really God showing up to us in the bread and the wine. Well, that brings to mind my question. What do you do with the wine and the bread after? Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so there, there are two things that you should do or could do. One is that you can consume the rest of the elements. And sometimes you see Pastor Beth and I, if the bread is particularly fresh, we'll just rip a, a little bit more off for ourselves, right? That is an okay thing to do. The other thing that you're supposed to do is to return it to the earth. And we're not, we, we don't do this, we don't dispose of it in a special way because it's like magic or more holy or like especially sacred. We do it because we now recognize that like this is something that God has made and brought to us and we treat it with reverence and respect then for its whole life cycle. So the wine gets, I learned this at 9 a.m., it, um, gets put in a special pitcher, and we dump it onto the plants. So we water the plants. So it's the gifts of God continuing to give to the earth. And with the bread, Bob Mosden, one of our uh, custodians, he'll gather up the bread um, every Wednesday or Thursday, and he goes out back, and there's a family of uh, raccoons <laughs> that, <laughs> that know this rhythm and know to expect, and they're all very well fed, um, and they... And holy, yeah, yeah. So, um, so they they get the leftover bread. Come on, come on. Where does the wine come from? We this is it comes from um, a liquor store that does deliveries. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, the guy, uh, our the delivery person, um, said, you know. Maybe one of these days, I would love to bring my family here to worship. So it's interesting just the different ways that communion, this meal, connects us. And I think that's one of the cool things about um, zooming out. If you just pause and think, 
all of the steps that had to happen for there to even be bread and wine on this table, right? Like all the tiny miracles along the way, like photosynthesis, what? You know, um, and then people, you think about workers on farms who harvested this, the silos where the grain was held, and then it was processed into flour, the miracle of yeast taking root, rising the bread, and now the miracle of it, you know, feeding us, converting into energy in our bodies. So this is a meal that really does, it's not just like it happens right here, this is just one stop on the way. I appreciate Mount Olivet's inclusivity and welcoming. Uh, when my kids were here, when they were growing up, they had to get through, um, I think, confirmation before they were offered communion. And I'm wondering if this is unique, mm. that you include little ones yeah. now, um, or if that's something that is a change in the Lutheran church overall. Yeah. Um, show of hands, how many people had to be confirmed before they could receive communion? So common practice. That was a very common practice. And the reason for that was um, churches believe that this is one place where it's really God, you know, coming into the midst of us. And what a holy responsibility for pastors to give that out. And so they were trying to protect people from uh, receiving it unworthily. And the idea is you should know things before you can really know the difference that this meal is making uh, for you. Well, what happened is that pastors along the way um, started having conversations and they said, well, do we really know what's happening in this meal? And they said, no, we, we think about this week after week and we haven't hit the bottom of the mystery yet. And then they thought about people, you know, people with physical dis disabilities and mental disabilities. Were they, were, are we saying that they can't come because they can't understand? For elderly people with dementia, are they no longer allowed to receive? Well, that didn't seem right. So this whole shift happened in the Lutheran Church um, or the ELCA, but also in other mainline Protestant communities. This understanding that this meal is a mystery to us all and where we go as a church is we remember the words of Jesus, and he said, this is my body given for you, and that he did not continue on and say, only if you understand what this is, only if you're confirmed, only if you're eight years old. He just said, this is for you. And so if you understand that there is something at this table that you want, if you desire something here, even if you're not sure what your faith looks like, if you're reaching out your hand, that, that's, that's it. That's the only criteria, is that you're actually able to open your hand. Oh, oh John's here. got one over here. He, he, okay. But do, do yours first, and then Joy can get over. Methods for taking communion, common cup and tincture. How how did we select this method, and do we ever use a different method? Yeah. So I don't know how this church um, arrived at this uh, method. You have to balance different things. So even though um, what matters is that we're remembering Jesus in this meal, 
the symbols of the meal also speak for themselves. So one reason we have a loaf of bread instead of wafers, for instance, is because one loaf is a better representative of the unity we have in Jesus. And also, like, let's not ignore that it's good-tasting bread. Like, encountering God is a delight, you know? And we want this, this table to speak of that. So intinction, that's the one where you dip into one cup. The advantage to that is the unity. One cup, one church. The disadvantage to that, someone is going to plunge their finger right into, <laughs> into that cup, and you're going to get germs everywhere, because then the bread just sops up other people's germs. So intinction is actually uh, the germiest way of taking communion. Um, I, will, I will always receive by intinction, I, like, and you should too, but just know that it's germier even than common cup when you're sharing the chalice. All right. John. We would only take communion four to six times a year at the most. Totally. So it's a little bit foreign to have communion every Sunday, although I prefer it more now the later yeah. in life that I get. So what, what is the reasoning behind yeah. it? It's because we need it. Um, so the cool thing about communion is that there's a physical sign of God's grace. I was saying this, I, I was saying this at 9 a.m., but after I, I have a fight with my husband and we make up, you know, we say, I forgive you, right? And that means something. But that forgiveness is made real when we hug. That physical sign does something that words cannot do. And it's the same with this meal. I can say God forgives you, and that is true, but there's something that changes when our bodies are involved as well. And so it's also this pattern that we get into. It's a good pattern in our lives that we open our hands every week. Opening our hands here teaches us to open our hands and to give and receive in the world. So it's good that we do this um, every week. can give communion? Do you have to be ordained or clergy mm. or? Yeah, so um, if you are going to preside over the table and say, you know, in the night in which he was betrayed, blah, 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 you know the words, um, it's probably good that you are a pastor. And the reason why is this isn't a Mount Olivet meal. This isn't something we're doing just like because we're cool as a church. This is a meal of the whole church. It's bigger than this building. It's bigger, it, um, it stretches across space and time. When Pastor Beth and I visit other churches, we are recognized as pastors there. And so that's why it's important to have a pastor um, be the person to announce these words of Jesus is because um, it reminds us that we're connected to a wider movement of Christianity in the world. Now, anyone can actually give out the bread and the wine. And in fact, we, we encourage that. In fact, yes, sign up for Altar Guild and fill the cups, but more than that, sign up to give communion. It changes you. People say this, 
I never realized how powerful it was to view this church face by face and to say these like routine but profound words, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, my goodness, it will change you. My timer went off. Let's do one last question. I liked your analogy of uh, getting right with your relationship with your husband and then concluding it with a hug or whatever. Uh, is that true with communion too, where I, I should uh, ask for forgiveness, mm. uh, my relationship with uh, God before taking communion? Um, yeah, that has been the, the pattern of the church is um, to do confession before um, communion. Now, I will tell you on Wednesday nights, we don't do a confession in our worship services, but we do have communion. Um, the reason why we do, uh, or it's good to confess our sins, is that um, it's not good to come to this table if you don't think it can give you anything. If you are like, oh, I'm good, whatever, well, then what's this meal to you? Why, why, why do you even need it? But if you are conscious of the ways that you need something bigger than yourself, the burdens you're carrying, um, the, the strength you need to live each day in the world, then this meal has something to offer you. Um, yeah. So God bless you in your questions. God bless you in your receiving. God bless you in the strength that this meal gives you. I'm done receiving your questions now, at least for now, come find me after the service. Um, but I have a question for you, which is, what do you notice about communion at Mount Olivet? And after the service, we invite you to stay that extra 30 seconds, grab a marker, gather around that table out there and write your response. And then that apron that you write on is gonna be worn at our community meal. Your thoughts and ruminations Bless the hospitality we will extend to our community. Amen. Let's stand and sing.